starting a short mini-series on John that's entitled, I'm Connected. In 2011, I am connected. And this is going to be our focus text as well as our theme for this new year. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. You know, it is said that we speak to the Lord through praise and prayer. And that God speaks to, to us through his word. So may we approach this text looking not to hear from me, but to hear from the Lord. Verse 1 reads, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Today we want to tag this text, I'm Connected, uh, part one of a mini-series, Abiding and Bearing Fruit. Abiding and Bearing Fruit. The planet Venus is extremely hot, while the planet Neptune is extremely cold. The difference of temperature has everything to do with where the planets are located in relation to the sun. Neptune is cold because it is the furthest away from the sun. While Venus is hot because it is the second planet nearest the sun. The heat of the planets is directly correlated with the location that it is to the S-U-N. The same is true for us as Christians. Those of us who spend time soaking in the S-O-N. Those of us who spend time in the presence of the Son of God. Are those of us whose relationship with God is hot, vibrant. Those of us who have a cold relationship or a lukewarm relationship, it is because we do not spend time in the presence of God. This passage shows us the necessity of being ablaze for Jesus. 
and warns us of the impending danger for those who are lukewarm and cold. Jesus shows us in this text that the key to spiritual intimacy, the key to growth, the key to having a relationship with him and having joy is in abiding in him. Look at your Bible. I want you to look at verses 4 through 7. And notice that the word abide appears seven times in three verses. Anytime we see such repetition, when we read our Bibles, we should see that the author is trying to call our attention to a theme. He is trying to stress a point. And Jesus here, in just three verses, uses the word abide over and over. Now some of us are tempted to think that to abide in Christ means to come to church as often as we can or when we feel like it. Now that definitely is important. Church attendance and fellowship is important, but it is not the main manifestation of abiding in Christ. Corporate worship is where we come together to worship the Lord. It's where we grow together. It's where we find edification. It's where we find accountability. But one can come to church weekly and multiple times a week and still fail to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ means to remain. It means to dwell in the presence of Christ at all times. It means to persevere in him. It means to allow God's word to make its abode in you. Its home in you. That's what it means to abide. In verse 3 and in verse 7, Jesus puts emphasis on this. In verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples these words. Look at your Bibles. Already you are clean because the words that I have spoken to you. Already, he says, you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. My words abide in you. Abiding in Christ means abiding in his word. And when we abide in his word, we are clean. Amen. See, having the word of God in you is to have Christ in you. For Christ is the manifestation of God's word. John chapter 1, verse 1. Often I hear people say, you know, I need more of Jesus. I need more of Christ. That's right, we all do. Every single person needs more of Christ. But Obtaining Christ is not found in some mystical way. Obtaining Christ and receiving more of Christ is found by, by going through the scriptures. When we go to the scriptures, we go to Christ. Christ is the very word of God, the logos of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and active. 
The word of God is living and active. Take the word of God out and put Christ in. Christ is living and active. Christ is sharper than two, any two-edged sword. Christ gets between the joints and the marrow. And Christ discerns the thoughts of the heart. God's word is his son. God's word, Christ, is able to penetrate it to the deepest, the, the darkest, the most devastated and disturbed areas of our lives and purify us and, and clean us. What, that's what the psalmist David said in the 19th Psalm. He said, your word is pure. Your word is pure. Christ does his work when we abide. Christ renovates our lives when we read, when we meditate, when we listen, when we obey the Bible. Christ does magnificent things when we allow his word to penetrate through areas of pride and through areas of impatience. He does some, some miracles in our lives when we say, Scripture alone, Scripture alone, it's what I need to have more of Christ. Not philosophy, not psychology. I need the scripture. I need people who are speaking scripture, living scripture, challenging me through the scripture. You know, this isn't the first time that the beloved John emphasizes the language of abiding in God's word. John uses or emphasizes the, this word abide in Christ throughout his gospel. And he also emphasizes it in his, his smaller epistles, in 1 John and especially in 2 John as well. This word abide is something that has really impacted him. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 31, to seven chapters over. And we can see him emphasizing the importance of Abiding as he's recording the very words of Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 31. The words of Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus emphasizes two points that you can't miss this morning. Don't miss what he's saying to your heart this morning. Don't miss this as we start a new year. Jesus tells us first that those who abide or those who remain in God's word are those who are truly his disciples, are truly his followers. Notice, he doesn't say that those who hide behind the lazy statement, God knows my heart. He doesn't say those who come to church every now and again are my followers. He doesn't say those who grew up in a church and who knows church language are my followers. He says, those who abide in my word. Second thing, it's not only are they his disciples, 
but they will be set free. It says the truth will make you free. Sin and weights that so easily beset us begin to come off. The person who abides in God's word is the person who is, has been transformed and the person who will be transformed. As new creatures, they will have victory over their flesh. They will experience peace of mind. And the, the world will try to tempt them and to take them, but they will stand firm on the promises of God because they are connected to the word of God. The pessimistic will become optimistic. The, the broken will become fixed. The depressed will receive joy because they know what God's word says. John chapter 15, Jesus uses an incredible metaphor in verse 1. An incredible metaphor. Look at it. Verse 1, a brilliant metaphor. He says, I am the true vine. Our young adult women's small group, the sisterhood, went on an I am tour last year. Now, I'm not talking about Beyonce's I am tour. Beyonce did an I Am tour in 2009. She did 97 tour, she went to 97 cities and grossed over $103 million. That's not the I Am tour that our young adult women went through, those who are involved in the sisterhood. They went through an I Am tour through the book of John. See, Jesus, throughout the book of John, makes seven statements that start with I am. And these seven statements all transfer information of, or reveal information about his deity, about him being God, about him being a necessity. He says, I am the light of the world, earlier in John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he tells his disciples, I am the true vine. That's what it shocked them. They were familiar with this type of language. As a vineyard, a, a vine was incredibly important to their existence and to their culture. But not only that, they knew what the Old Testament said about the vine. As Jews, they knew that the prophets often talked about Israel being God's vine, about God being the vine dresser who takes care of his vineyard. They, they knew that, that Jesus was trying to make an incredibly important point. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, I encourage you to read it when you go home. We read just some beautiful and poetic words by the prophet Isaiah given by God about God's vine, about Israel. And God says, I came to my vineyard and I, I was singing over my vine. I was praising my vine and, and I looked at the vine and I noticed that there was no fruit on the vine. There was no fruit. Part of it. Then there was wild grapes growing. He looked to his vine for good fruit, but there was no fruit. Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I am the true vine. Israel was the vine of God, but Israel fell short. Israel went whoring after other gods. Israel 
was not righteous. Israel preferred Babylon over Israel, over their own nation. Israel was fast. Israel was like us. Jesus, when he says, I am a true vine, he says, I am the true righteous one. I am the true mediator. I am the true middleman. I am the one that's going to connect the nations back to God. Where you fail, I will succeed. I will succeed. No human, no group of humans, no other religion can connect us to God the Father. Only his precious son. Then Jesus reveals that not only is he the true vine, but he goes on in verse 1 and shows that God the Father is, is the vine dresser. And he begins to tell us what God the Father's job is as he uses his metaphor. In verse 1, he, he tells us that my Father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes away. Jesus is saying that every person who calls themselves a Christian but whose lives does not show evidence that they will be exposed and that they will ultimately one day be taken away and judged. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, verse 6, like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus shows that God is the vine dresser, that we are his vine, but that God is looking at us and he wants to see fruit. He wants to see Christ likeness. Who wants that for themselves? Who wants to be rejected? Who wants to be thrown away? No, no, none of us likes to be dumped. If you've been dumped before, you didn't like it. I didn't like it. It's not fun. But who wants to be dumped and rejected by God? Why are these branches, why are these people being torn away? They are being torn away because they did not abide. They did not bear fruit. They did not persevere and love God's word. These branches that are thrown away may have walked down the aisle. They may have even been, been baptized. They may even know how to say, I should have bought a Honda and call it tongues. They may do all this crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, they did not love Jesus. They did not abide in Christ. Therefore, they did not bear fruit. Walking down the aisle does not save you. Repeating a prayer does not save you. Loving Christ, loving God is what saves you. Hanging around a church does not save you. These are the people that come to church to clear their conscience from the wrong that they've done all week, knowing that they won't repent and that they will do it again. These are the people who never repent and never weeped over their sins. 
These are, are the people who have been in church all their lives but couldn't tell you the difference between a line from Homer's Iliad and, and, and from the Psalm of David. These are the people who find it drudgerous and it's drudgery for them to open up their Bibles. It's drudgery from them to sit down and read God's word. Not because they can't read, but because they don't love Christ. If you God as a genie, they view Christ as a genie, not as a Lord. They, they come to him with all of these needs and all of these wants. And the only reason they're coming to him is because they want him to make something happen for them. They want him to fit into their box. They want to take advantage of him. When things are going well, they barely mention him. When things go bad, they run to him. When things go bad, they blame them. These aren't people who love Christ. These are people who, who are disconnected from Christ. Christ is not a genie. He's not a good luck charm that we pick up every now and then and then we throw down. It's not someone we just run to when we're in trouble. Christ is the Lord. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the most exalted person in the universe and outside of the universe. Christ is the highest thought in literature. Christ is the biggest problem for secular scientists. Christ is the one who demands our adoration, our attention, and our allegiance because he has been so good to us. Christ is more. And many of us make them. And one day we are going to be shocked if we just hung around them and did not really abide in them. She says, get, get from around me. Depart from me. I never knew you. You know, every time I led to preach a sermon that draws a a line in the sand, so to speak. I always get a bunch of people coming up to me or some emails, and they normally say, well, after today's sermon, uh, I'm really considering whether or not I'm, I'm in Christ, and I don't know if I'm in Christ. They say, look, kind of look at me for some encouragement. And in the past, I, I've, I've given an answer that, Maybe I should have been more discerning. I've normally said, well, turn your Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And then I'll tell them, you know, uh, remind yourself, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Satan wants to condemn you. Then I tell them, turn or, or look over a couple more verses and go to verses, uh, uh, verse 37, verse 31 through 37. It talks about how the love of God, nothing can separate us from it. And and say, oh, be okay, go home and just love Christ, love the Lord, you know. And that, that may be a good answer, but, but I'm convinced that there's a better answer. If you're convicted and you feel like maybe you're not really in Christ, there is a possibility it's because you don't understand that once a person comes to Christ that they're not perfect and they're, they do make mistakes. That may be a possibility, but there's another possibility. It may be that you really aren't because you aren't abiding. Maybe a better answer is to say, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. But you need to go home and examine yourself. And you need to go home 
and abide. Abide in Christ. Parents. Greatest thing you can do for your child is abide in Christ. The greatest thing you can do for your child is spend precious moments every day in his word. The greatest thing you can do is, is make it a priority to know his word, to soak your mind in his word. To not, to not leave that table until you have heard him speak something to you. The greatest thing you can do is to, to model it and to teach your children. I'm baffled. I'm baffled by parents who leave their children at home on Sunday. I'm baffled. My parents who says, little Johnny didn't feel like coming to church. Little Johnny shouldn't have a choice. He doesn't have a choice if he's going to school. He doesn't have a choice if he's going to do his homework. We equate a person having good grades with a person being kept by Christ. There are plenty Satanists who get good grades. Plenty Satanists who have nice cars, plenty Satanists who have nice houses, plenty Satanists who have degrees, being educated, having nice things does not mean that God is blessing you. A blessing from the Lord is having a proper view of the Lord. A blessing from the Lord is seeing the Lord as your greatest treasure. A blessing from the Lord is, is saying whether I have a degree or I don't have a degree, I'm kept by the Lord. Whether I have money or don't have money, I'm kept by the Lord. Peace is what comes with being a Christian. When we keep our minds stayed on him, we have a peace. That the world can't take away. May lose my, my life, but I lose it with peace. May lose my home, but I lose it with peace. I may have some, some bad relationships and some bad friendships, but in the midst of it, I have peace because I'm connected. Husbands and wives. The best thing you can do for your marriage is abide in God's word. The best thing you can do in your marriage is to soak in God's word, is to love Christ, is to allow the word of God to shape the way you view marriage. Marriage is under attack. Secular world is asking questions like, why did you get married? God tells us why we get married. And God shows us how to make a, a marriage last and a marriage work. But we won't know unless we spend precious time meditating on the word of God. More than anything, if you are a Christian husband, if you are a Christian wife, more than anything, you should desire that your spouse abide in God's word. If your spouse abides in God's word, then your spouse will bear fruit. 
And this fruit is evidence of being conformed to the image of Christ. Who doesn't want their spouse to to love? Who doesn't want their spouse to be long-suffering? Who doesn't want their spouse to be patient and gentle and kind? Who doesn't want or desire that from their spouse? But how can we desire Christ-likeness from our spouses if we ourselves aren't abiding? thing I love about my wife is that God gave me a precious woman, but he also gave me a precious accountability partner. There's nothing for us throughout a day to just stop and to have a two-hour or an hour conversation about our personal walks with the Lord. Nothing for her to ask me, sweetie, not just have you been reading God's word, but have you been getting something from God's word? It's nothing for for me to to hold her accountable and say, how's your prayer life been looking this week? I know we've been ripping and running here and there, but have you found time to pray? Have you found time to be intimate with God? And if the answer is no, it's it's my responsibility as a husband to to take the baby. It's my responsibility as a husband to say, I'll do the grocery shopping. I need you to abide. You need me to abide. We won't work unless we abide, unless we are connected. Connected to the true vine. Many excuses. Why we cannot abide. I'm just too busy. Work starts early. I get home late. Just too busy. Oh, but have you read the writings of Joshua? Right? Joshua said meditate on the word of God day and night. Joshua was not retired. Joshua was the commander of Israel's army when they were traveling over to Canaan. God told Joshua, told Moses to tell Joshua to meditate on the word day and night. And Joshua did that. David, king of Israel, meditated on the word of God day and night. I once was a <laughs> entrepreneur in college. Started a number of different businesses while I was going through school to bring in some side money to help pay for classes and things like that. And I'll never forget another guy who was mentoring me as I was working through a a business had a saying, trying is lying. He said, either you're going to do it or you're not. The Bible says something like that. It says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If Christ is who who we say he he is, then we will make time for him. We will make time for him. He made time for us, didn't he? He made time to go down the Via Della Rosa. Yes, he did. The road of sorrow. The secret to abiding is found in verse 4 and verse 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Here it is. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Being connected to Christ, having a thriving, hot, interesting, 
fun relationship with Christ comes from us seeing Christ as a necessity and not as a luxury. Christ says, you can do nothing without me. Christ said it. If you look to the back, you'll see in 2011 a theme, I'm connected. That's our theme. In order for us to have thriving Christian walks and us to be a church that will impact the community, we have to see this as truth. We cannot bear fruit. We cannot look like Christ unless we are plugged into him at all times. At all times. Unless we are mulling over scripture in our minds, hiding scripture into our hearts, thinking about it as we go throughout the day. I can do nothing. You can do nothing in your Christian walk without Jesus. You're a Christian. Take Christ out of that word. You're just an and. Doesn't work. Christian. Take out Christ. You're just an and. Don't be an and. Be a Christian. Be a Christian. Most frustrating time of the week, times of the week is when I leave home and I'm driving and I look at my cell phone and I realize that I did not charge it the night before riding down and I just see this red on the battery and it's, it's low. And I just get frustrated. I'm like, oh man, I'm ripping and running today. I'm not going to have a, 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 a way of connecting with my wife at, at noon to make sure she's okay and my daughter. I'm not going to have a, a way of returning the messages that was left for me yesterday. I just get frustrated. Oh, what am I going to do? What if, what if my phone just completely dies and I get a, a flat tire? All that because I failed to plug in last night. Oh, if we, if we would be irritated, if we would be frustrated, if, if we would look at our relationship with God like that, if, if we would, would, would develop a, a, a mentality that if I don't plug in to God's word, if I don't meditate on God's word, if, if I don't love God's word, if I don't make time to pray, not just pray on the go, Lord, please let me make this light, I'm running late. Not that prayer. If I don't make time to really talk to him, I'm going to be frustrated and irritated. I won't be able to connect with my wife. I won't be able to connect with my children. I won't be able to connect with my coworkers. I, I need, I must be plugged into him in order to bear fruit. Fruit is not just for, for the branch. Fruit is for people that people may eat it and enjoy it. Your life is not just for you. God wants people to be able to eat off you. God wants people to be able to hear his word come from you. He wants people to be able to get full off of you and, and say, man, that's such a sweet, sweet person, a sweet, sweet taste. Every time I talk to them, there, there's something different about them. But we can't be that way if we don't stay connected. Lastly, last thing that I want you to think about quickly is God's job as a vine dresser is not just to prune, to throw away. It's not just to tear off and throw away, but he has another job. Look at the, your Bibles. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God doesn't just want you to bear fruit. Okay? 
He starts off by saying, every branch of me that does not bear fruit. Then he goes on and says that he does something. He prunes in order that we may bear more fruit. And if you continue on, you'll see that later on God uses a term in verse 5. He uses the word much fruit. God wants us to go from just bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. God wants to conform you to the image of Christ. That's what he's doing in your life. That's why he saved you. We want to go from little fruit to much fruit. And the way that we go from little fruit to much fruit is by allowing God to prune us. A vine dresser prunes the vine. He goes up to the vine. He looks to see the branches, the ones that's bad. He tears them off and throws them away. The ones that's bearing fruit, he cuts. He takes out a sickle or nowadays he does a, a scissor and he cuts. And the reason he cuts it is because he knows what's healthy growth and what's not. He doesn't want this branch to grow wild and to hinder the other branches from growing. So he cuts and he redirects the branch so that the branch can have maximum growth. In every single person life in here, God is pruning. And your process of pruning is not like my process of pruning. What God takes away from you, he may not take away from me. But he takes them away from us, not to hurt us, not to harm us, but to help us to grow. That's what James said. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is endurance. When steadfastness has taken full effect, it takes it in order that you may be mature and complete. Sometimes it hurts to be prone. A lot of times it hurts to be prone. But we have to remember that when we're going through the pruning process, that God is taking us through the process in order that we will be mature in order that we would bear more fruit, in order that we would love him more. God's not out to get us. Trials come to everyone. We live in a fallen world. Therefore, we we reap fallen results. Everyone in here has something that they're going through. Everyone in here has someone that they love who is separated from Christ. Everyone in here has has some type of, most of us, some type of of, a financial difficulty. Most of us in here has has been heartbroken. Most of us in here has, has felt like we've been taken advantage of. But when you're in Christ, God uses that for his glory and for your good. You gotta pout about every bad thing that happens. I don't have to be discouraged about every bad thing that happens. When I when I'm, when I'm connected to the scripture, when I'm connected to Christ, I can speak the word of Christ through the pruning process and remind myself that all things, not some things, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Sickness for his good. Job loss for his good. There's a young lady whose father's test was being tested as she was a field hockey player in high school. 
First two years, she got an incredible amount of playing time, was a star, and she got up to varsity, and a coach wouldn't play her. Many parents came to the father saying, what's going on with the coach? Why isn't he playing your daughter? What you going to do about it? The coach being a strong Christian, the elder of the church, he said, the only thing I'm going to do about it is encourage my daughter to gently ask him, why don't I play? And to tell her that whatever way he responds, you accept it and just work harder. Maybe God wants my daughter to ride the bench for a while. Parents were just livid at his response. They said, what in the world? Well, his daughter obeyed. She went to the coach. The coach gave her a smart response. She came back home and says, you know what, Dad? Maybe Jesus does want me to ride the bench. Maybe he's going to teach me something while I'm on the bench. And the story goes that, that that daughter, that girl, had the best year of her life, her junior and senior year, riding the bench. She spent more time in God's word after practice and, and after the games, not worried about just improving because she knew she wasn't going to play. She, she spent time in God's word. She spent time praying for her teammates and, and even led some of her teammates to Christ. She told her father, Jesus benching me was the best thing that could have happened. That's the attitude we have to have. <laughs> we have to learn to have, and the only way we're going to learn to have that is if we know Scripture. If we see in Scripture that sometimes God did bench people. Sometimes God did have people sit down for a while. But being benched for Joseph was one of the best things that ever happened to Joseph. God benched his own son when he sent him to Calvary. But his son came out victorious and bore fruit. That's why we have the word of the month. Because we want you to abide in God's word. Not because we want to embarrass you every Sunday and have us fibbling over paper. But because we want you to, to know God's word. That's why we have scripture of the month. Because as leaders, we want you to meditate on one scripture. We want to help you to memorize God's word, to get God's word on the inside of you. That's why we started last February with Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice with hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Your words were found, O Lord. Your words became the delight and the joy of my heart, for I am called by your name. Oh, Lord God of hosts, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. At the right hand side of God, set your minds on the things that are above and not the things that are below. For you have died. And when Christ and your life is hidden in Christ and when Christ who is your life appears then you shall appear in glory with him for I am sure of this I am sure of this that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ for no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. Do your best. Do your best to present your, do your best 
To present yourself to God as approved. A worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. For the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. They may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In this, the love of God. May he manifest among us. God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. God has called us to abide, to abide in his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, help us to abide. Help us to conclude that your word, your word became the joy and the delight of our hearts. Help us, Father God, to see that without your word, without spending precious time with you every single day thinking about you, even when we can't come to our Bibles, Lord, meditating on, on, on scripture that we've memorized, Father. Help us to see that that is the only way that we will bear fruit. Help us to see that this world desperately needs fruit bearers. This world is barren. This world is dying. It's getting more corrupt. And the only thing that's going to preserve it is salt. And you have called us to be the salt of the world. You've us to be the light of the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand to your feet. As we start this new year, we want to start it doing something different. I'm going to ask you to come out to the altar, and we're going to sing songs of prayer.